Hey everyone, hope you're having a happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Feisty Founders. Today, we have on the show Valerie Emanuel, the co-founder of Role Models Management. Valerie is an entrepreneur, mother, speaker, and models right activist. Her background is in talent and business management, as well as photo production. She started off as a model as a child and saw a real need for positive change within the industry that was antiquated and in need of disruption. Please give a warm welcome to Valerie. Hi, Valerie. Welcome to Feisty Founders. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, the pleasure is ours. Tell me a little bit about your company and how you started with it. We just want to hear the story. Well, Role Models is uh, my agency. It's my baby. I started it in 2017 with my co-founder, Antares. And really the idea came because I was modeling um, really from the age of two to like 24. And I just saw mm. this void for, you know, women who women and men who could really share their personality and be activists and have a voice with without their agents or without, you know, the media in general, just wanting them to be quiet and not speak up. So I thought, Mm. you know, I really want to represent my friends who are doing amazing things in the world, who are really reliable. And so I started managing a few of my friends, like at the beginning of the whole influencer marketing trend. And Mm. we, me and my co-founder got connected through Marcy Zaroff, who is a pioneer in eco-fashion. My co-founder was on the East coast and she was talking about it one night at a dinner in New York, um, just about how models should change the world and use their platform. And I was talking about it when I saw her the next week in LA. So when I started talking about it, she just was like, I have to connect you with Antares via email. And we started the company mm-hmm. without ever meeting. Oh and my gosh. Yeah. We didn't meet for like four months after we started the agency, but we just knew it had wow. to happen. That's a bold uh, jump. I, I know right but we really trusted each other it's, it's funny I'm like oh my you're like God sent me a sister that was completely trustworthy and I just know people were like businesses fall apart um and we just are both so open and honest that that has not been an issue mm-hmm. that's interesting you feel that it's your honesty and your openness with each other that's kind of preserved your co-founder relationship yeah and I'm I'm pretty comfortable talking about money And, you know, I think that's one thing when you start a business with someone is you have to talk about money, like from the get go, you know, you can kind of go around it in a friendship or a relationship, but she was really comfortable and open talking about it from the beginning too. So it was kind of like that barrier to, to friendship entry was, (laughs) was lowered. And then we could just be business partners. Mm, That's so real. Sometimes I feel like if you're trying to do a business with your best friend, it can be really difficult to have those conversations about titles Mm -hmm. and money and all these different things. So it sounds like you guys had a a great start to your company and now you're doing some awesome stuff. Just in terms of your transition from being a model to managing other models and then launching a company, what was that like for you? I'm sure that they require different skill sets. Obviously having industry experience is probably really helpful for being a model manager. But what, what was that kind of like for you? Goodness. Uh, I would say being a model, there was a lot of managing my own schedule. And now I manage the schedules of like 50 people a week. You know, we have almost 200 talent, but I'd say that's generally how many you know people I'm handling with, with options and castings and traveling every week. But I really had to use the skills. Um, I'd say that I learned when I was a manager, like when I was, when I was modeling, I, 
I worked at an art gallery and I was the manager at American Apparel. And I just thought that it was going to be some fun situation where people sent me jobs and then they just sent me a check and that was it. But no, I mean, a lot of my job, I would say, is managing and scheduling, um, you know, booking flights and paying people. And I actually love doing that stuff. And then with my co-founder, Anne she's way more of the marketing, all of our branding, um, our partnerships with people like Remake in the UN. So from modeling, I think one thing I really learned is how to take rejection very well. And so now I feel like I'm kind of managing, you know, a few hundred people. And um, I mean, in terms of like clients and models, and it's just a kind of a big chess game of like rejection and, and yes and no and availability and and everything being very last minute. So I definitely learned patience in my career, but I learned it even more when I started managing. Mm, patience, the holy virtue, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. A patience and then hurry up and wait, you know? <laughs> hurry up and wait. I love that. And so I've seen, I think somewhere on your website that your company is an ethical agency. What does that mean? And how do you kind of accomplish that? Ethical for us, I mean, it's so many things, you know, we work not only as a talent agency, but also as a production agency. So with everything that we do, we wouldn't want to do something that would ever put us in hot water. You know what I mean? Like, I don't ever want to practice something like one of our models, if they said, oh, my agency didn't pay me on time. Like I like to pay people within days of booking a job, which is unlike a lot of other agencies. We're one of the only agencies in the world that does that. So ethical Mm. in terms of you know, giving them their information. I know um, sometimes, you know, modeling agencies don't even know what clients they're booking their models for and they'll just send them to Brazil and like, there's no job. It's just some random person who has enough money to have a model fly out. And so Mm. I was like, with everything that we do, it's got to be safe. And so that's the way that we're ethical, paying on time, paying fair. Um, I would never hide wages or anything like that from a model. I know when I was a model, for example, Um, there's this thing called usage. So you do a job and it would pay like 2000 a day and they'd be like, okay, well, $2,000 usage for the year. And if we renew it next year, if we renew the contract, we'll pay you another 2000. And agencies would just pocket that money and not tell you that your image was being used again, or your image was being used in another country. And so, yeah, we're, we're very transparent about all of that in terms of production. We just try to make sure that everything's sustainable when we produce a job, like as far as you know, no plastic waste, paying people fair wages or being <laughs> transparent about how we're using footage. So mm. just, just all around, I think, um, really making sure that we're not, we don't have secrets. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. I think for a lot of us, we're not sure about the ins and outs of modeling. And so it's interesting to hear about how some other agencies aren't quite as ethical or transparent as you guys and what you guys have been doing to do that. And that really aligns with this sort of goal to allow models to engage with the influence that they have. So what kind of power or influence do you think a model possesses? Uh, I, you know what, uh, what a model really has is the ability to have people stop and look. I, I know, for example, you know, when you're scrolling on your Instagram, you just see an image that's very well curated and beautiful. And it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't matter what the person looks like. It could just be their style. But I think that they have a unique opportunity because of their style, because of um, their status, that they're a professional athlete. We don't just represent models. We represent also some teachers, um, farmers, you know, (laughs) but they are 
they're looked up to because of, um, because of their image. So we just feel like you have an extra responsibility to share accurate information, um, share information that's going to change the planet for the better, share information that's going to activate people to, um, you know, respond to the world in a positive way. Like let's not incite violence, let's incite action. Let's incite change. Let's register Mm. people to vote. Um, How can you use, you know, your skill, your looks, your talent to really, you know, influence pop culture? Mm. So in terms of, you know, influence, you're talking about influencer marketing a little bit there. What do you think about social media's presentation of beauty? It's really, uh, it's, it's damaging to young girls and it's not like I'm totally Mm. impervious to it. You know, I've, I've got Botox. I've got fillers. I've had plastic surgery before. It's like all these things that uh, I think a lot of people hate about social, social media. And so, um, I mean, I didn't get them for social media. I don't consider myself an influencer or anything. Mm. Um, I'm just, you know, aging, (laughs) but (laughs) I, it's interesting because I just want young people to know that the image that they see is not real. Like even the images that people post on their Instagram, mm. I just learned about editing apps like a week ago. I am so late. <laughs> I did not realize that you can smooth your skin and make parts of your body bigger and smaller. Like I knew people were doing that, oh, wow. but I didn't I know, didn't that know I could that. do that. <laughs> oh, well, well, I'm not going to start doing it because I'm like, that's scary. I'm going to totally move a brick or something and like, you know, mm-hmm. or have a wave be looking really weird in the background of my picture. I'm just not bold <laughs> enough to do that. But there's some people or even some models that I've met when I meet them in person and they're gorgeous, but you know, they're presenting a false self online. And so I always try to say to our models, like, be transparent about like makeup and behind the scenes. And like, this is me when I stand up really straight and have editing. And like, this is me when I'm just sitting down with my boyfriend eating a slice of pizza. So I try to, <laughs> I think it should, yes, exactly. I think it should be more fun because I mean, 13 year old girls, they don't, they don't know about editing and they don't know about lighting and they don't know that it took 17 people to make this commercial shoot happen. So I just want them to like, for example, when I post a video or a picture and it has a filter, I always say hashtag yes filter. Like, don't try to compare yourself to this. I'm just mm-hmm. using it for fun. I'm using it because the lighting is crap. I'm using it because I just like butterflies on my cheeks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just just being transparent about what it means to be truly beautiful and not in the in the sense of of how they um, or how they look, but like their soul like this is what I'm this is what I'm presenting to you but this is what's really going on Hmm. yeah that that brings up some interesting thoughts I'm having just in terms of what we see of models not just on social media but in magazines and you know how models are represented and there's been a couple of brands that have really tried to represent models from more of a realistic standpoint where they're not editing things out and they're encouraging diverse body shapes. You know, there's campaigns with Aerie or mm-hmm. lingerie brands like Adore Me, all of these different companies. How do you feel? What kind of stance do you take with that sort of thing in terms of a realistic representation of especially women's bodies? But men too, I'm sure they have just as much touch-ups as women do. <laughs> oh my God. Well, men, it's, it feels like it's even worse. Men are just getting around to the whole body mm-hmm. positive movement. And so I'm, Mm. you know, we have men of all shapes and sizes, but I'm really encouraging, uh, you know, big and tall guys or guys who don't have six packs to, yeah, like become an influencer. But with Mm. women, I think it's, like I said, it's important for that 13 year old girl 
who just is never going to be 5'10 and have a Victoria's Secret model body to see other body types. And there's absolutely yeah. nothing negative about it. Um, I, I think that we should, you know, always look up to things that are aspirational, but the aspirational characters that we have right now, that needs to change. Just like how Victoria's Secret kind of fell four years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that was we're not- tired of it, right? <laughs> People were tired of it. They're like, I will never look like this in this lingerie. And that's okay. I want to look like yeah. Aerie. You know, that's what mm. I look like. And so I know that if I buy it on the website, when it comes, I'm going to feel better about myself. It's just like when they say with, um, with presents, like people like presents better when they're wrapped crappy than when they're wrapped perfectly. <laughs> and like, I'm not saying that like bodies that don't look like Victoria's Secrets are crappy, but like people don't want to see airbrushed and Photoshopped all the time. Like sometimes aesthetics, it's, I love makeup pages. That's beautiful. But, um, I like to see a natural freckle. I like to see a missing tooth, you know? So does your company represent a lot of people who are primarily influencers who kind of have their basis on social media? I'm sure most models have to have that as a platform as well, but is that, you know, a focus focus area for you guys? Since the pandemic, we've definitely pivoted to being more of an influencer and content creator agency. I'd say before we we're mostly commercial and print and a lot of our clients had following and they didn't know how to really leverage it. So yeah. when this first started, I thought, how can we help our, our models who are really just business owners, right? They're independent contractors. So we brought in people yeah. to teach classes about lighting, like how to use your iPhone, what lights to buy, um, how to pivot your social mm. media so that you focus on a niche so that you can attract those types of clients. So we definitely have influencers and content creators, and we're also helping to build, you know, a new generation of, of activist influencers. Hmm. So one thing that's perhaps slightly off topic, but it's something that I'm really curious about because, you know, like I'm sure every single person out there who aspires for attention, (laughs) I've considered, you know, what would it be like to be an influencer? What would it be like to have people follow me on social media and be able to use my voice, et cetera, et cetera. For the, the issue that I always end up having is that anytime I try to do something like that, the mental health issues really crop up. Do you mm. feel that the people that you work with have similar issues or are people able to kind of maintain a level of sanity and, and I'm, and am I just the weird one? <laughs> no, you know, we're all affected by what other people think and say about us. And it's really um, mental resilience that we need to build in general, just in this world today, we're so bombarded with imagery that if you're not yeah. mentally resilient, this is you shouldn't even be on social media, whether you're an influencer or just somebody scrolling who has 20 followers, it's a lot. So with a lot of our girls, I think sometimes it, you know, you see them and they're like, Hey, I'm just booking out. I need to take a break. I'm not going to post on social media. Please don't send me any castings. It does get overwhelming. Um, just having to live up to a certain image or feeling like, okay, well I've posted bikini photos for three years and now I want to be a political rights activist. And like, how am I going (laughs) to switch over? I mean, I get these phone calls all the time and just helping people as they grow to have a a growing audience. And I don't mean as in terms of numbers, I mean, you know, if you were wearing forever 21, like 10 years ago, and that's how you built your blog, your social media is going to look way different. Maybe you have a kid now, or maybe Mm. you own a home and you don't live in Los Angeles. So really just helping them grow. um, I think that those mental issues kind of get, kind of get sorted out. But I think when you get really stuck, 
and your audience is not growing as you're growing mentally, it's, it's hard to kind of relate to them. And the less you relate to your audience, the more inauthentic you're going to feel. That's good advice. So to kind of change topics, just being about more about what your experience has been as a business owner, what, what surprised you the most about kind of taking a leap and starting a business? Oh my gosh. I mean, working with, I should say really finances and invoicing. It's, it's interesting because it's mm-hmm. like you all, I always receive checks, right. When you work for someone and then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm the one who's sending the checks that people receive <laughs> and so keeping real. up. Yes. And keeping up with all the paperwork and, and getting the right tax person and getting an accountant and also, you know, hiring and firing and, and furloughing. I mean, this year, that was, I think the most difficult thing we had to do is I, was like, okay, we're going to grow. This is going to be our million dollar year. And we were on track to do a million dollars. And then everything changed, obviously. And we ended up doing the same amount that we did last year, which is fine. I was like, we didn't decrease. I know, but I was like, but we didn't do a million dollars. So, um, you know, setting those goals so that every month we have money coming in, especially now that main entries for the first two years didn't pay ourselves. And now I'm like, we absolutely have to pay ourselves. And that's scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You it's have to make it work. Point when you realize like, okay, maybe I should be getting paid for the work I'm doing now. And, and how do you know, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. How do you feel that you as an individual have changed or transformed as a result of being a founder? Uh, I think I've, I've become more mentally strong for sure. I mean, the first few years, I started the company in 2017. And so three years in, I ended up actually getting out of a long-term relationship that I was in. And I just realized that I was in a relationship where the person didn't really want me to grow. And I turned into a new person. I mean, I really become an adult as a, as a result of becoming a mom and then Mm -hmm. starting a business. And I thought my, you know, I cannot be here encouraging people and empowering people and not feel empowered in my own home and being self-abandoning when I'm showing up for everybody else. Mm. Uh, I I felt really, really inauthentic. So, you know, I left that situation and now the last few months, I think it's just pushed me. So as I've grown, because I said, like, I have way more responsibility, um, I just feel that there's no, there's no choice, but to grow when mm. to grow spiritually and emotionally and mature when you own a business, uh, there's nothing so like being the boss that'll just wait, you know, but let's put a fire under your ass to, <laughs> to really make it happen for yourself and everybody around you. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I really appreciate that. I'm all about growth and personal development. And I think that you're very right in that when you're trying to run a company that it just is inevitable that you will grow and build yourself as you do so. So I'm glad to hear that you've been able to do that while you've run your company. In terms of kind of, yeah, of course, in terms of the layout within sort of the modeling agency, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's not very familiar with this space. Is there a lot of competition? You know, how do you secure different models to kind of join your team as opposed to others? What, what's the competition like for you? 
The competition for us, I, you know, we're in a league of our own. First of all, we're a direct booking <laughs> agency. So really models can, can be with us from all over the world. And, mm. um, you know, sometimes we've worked in Paris, sometimes we've worked in the Midwest, Los Angeles, Hawaii. So, and we're also non-exclusive with a lot of our clients. If we're developing clients, then I'll have the model be exclusive, which means that she basically only works with my agency and then I'll contract her out to other agencies. But, mm. um, you know, there's a lot of other agencies who've been really nice. Like I tell them we're, we're really transparent and, um, my clients are my clients, your clients are your clients. And if we want to work with a model on a certain project, you know, we'll split commission with them. But as long as somebody has the spirit of, of working together, I don't feel that competition as much. I'm thinking maybe it's because in the beginning, I think it's because we were small. And so now I do see some people viewing us as a competitor, which is good, <laughs> but <laughs> We are also representing models, not just for, for print and commercial and influencer work, but also for, you know, partnerships with, um, with different groups like Sierra club and the UN. So when models get with wow. us, sometimes they only want to do stuff like that. Or sometimes they only want to do social media campaigns with, uh, you know, socially responsible or environmentally responsible companies. So I feel like we always kind of find our way around it, but we're definitely growing to the point where, um, you know, we're talking to other agencies about partnering and, you know, we're at, we're coming up on year four. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is kind of the time when people start to see, <laughs> are you going to merge or grow or fail or get acquired or what? <laughs> and, and do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have a, a goal in mind? Uh, yeah. I mean, my goal would be to be acquired, obviously. <laughs> I was mm. like, I feel like sometimes I feel like that would be so much easier, but at the same time, I feel like we've, we've put in so much work. I wouldn't want, uh, what we're doing to be watered down, but I do feel like, mm. Oh my gosh, if we just had the reach of, you know, an agency that does like 50 million a year. Um, so that's, mm. it's always on my mind, but I think we've built a strong enough brand where no matter what we do, the name role models will be able to carry on, you know, and have a legacy no matter what. Hmm. Yeah, legacy is one of the ultimate goals of starting and running a company, I think. So <laughs> it's cool to hear that you're kind of on that path. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're now moving into doing more production, um, production and our own marketing. So whatever path we take, the agency's going to grow. But, you know, 2021, nobody really knows what's going to happen. <laughs> so real. <laughs> so going back to that conversation about, you know, how... 2020 has been a really crazy turbulent year full of pandemics and social riots and just all of these things. What's it been like for you in terms of managing that? And how have you kind of had to pivot accordingly? I know you mentioned a little bit of, of engaging more with influencers instead of print media, but what was that like for you guys? And then I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about your experience with having to furlough employees. Yeah. You know what? We really just had to pivot. There was, there was a few months where there was, I would say April, May, and June, there were like zero jobs. The only thing that we had at that time was residual income. So we sat down and we said, okay, well, what, what contracts have expired? Let's see if people want to renew contracts. We maybe got some inquiries, but brands were so scared to spend their marketing dollars. They were just really yeah. confused. And they're like, well, we'll just wait to do the shoot or shoots kept getting canceled. So I've never in my, you know, since the business started, we never had a month where there was nothing. 
So to have three months of nothing, mm. I kind of freaked out and we just hired someone and I was like paying them $5,000 a month to run our social media division. So I freaked out. <laughs> and, um, what we had to do, I mean, that it wasn't working with that person. I realized that they were not really that entrepreneurial. So I think mm. when you're, when you're hiring and your company's small, you got to have people who work like you, <laughs> you know, you got to have people who, whether you tell them to do something or not, there's stuff done and it's stuff done. That's bringing money into your business because I felt, um, you mm. know, when all of this happened, I thought if we have overhead, I can't have anybody who's not bringing money in right now. Yeah. Um, so that really sucked. And I mean, our people were independent contractors and I was hoping to bring them back on, but it just has not worked out like that so far. So that's been hard. I mean, we made, you know, that hire during Corona, but now, uh, 2021, I'm hoping to hire again. If anybody's Mm. listening, just (laughs) email me your resume. Um, what's the job? As a job, as an agent, you know, we really we have a fantastic marketing team with Stephanie and Anne Therese. Um, I have a junior agent with me. We also still have some independent contractors who are working, but there's nobody who um, who's full time. They're just like freelancing and doing what they can. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really hard to let people go, and it's really hard to want to grow but not be able to afford to grow. You know, the way you <laughs> thought you could. <laughs> Yes, I can imagine. Nothing like being stopped from growing. Yes. In terms of the rest of your team, you know, whether it's your co-founder relationships or the relationships that you have with some of your other employees, how has that been for you? And how have you learned different forms of leadership? I have learned that everybody has their own strength. And if you really give people tasks in their strength, they will succeed. And if you try to give people tasks that are outside their strength, you will be frustrated, right? So when we first started the business, it was like me and Aunt Therese were doing everything. She was doing booking and like she still does some booking now. I was doing marketing. I was trying to upload pictures on the website and I am not a computer person. I'm very much a salesperson. Um, You know, (laughs) I can do stuff in QuickBooks and I'm, I'm a mean contract reader. Like I love reading contracts. But I couldn't do any of that stuff. And so anytime I did it, it was going to be like not done well. Um, it's going to look like crap. I was going to feel like crap. And it was going to be a waste of time. So, you yeah. know, with everybody, I'm like, if they're doing things that are wasting their time and our money, we have to either move them or the relationship is not working. You know, so sometimes when we have mm. projects, that's when I'll hire my independent contractors to like come in and help us develop the script or help us do the shoot but just realize what people's strengths are and realize what yours are not as a leader. There's Mm. a lot of things that I can't do and that I will not do anymore. You know what I mean? Like we're right now we're, we're doing a marketing push and um, sure I can go and write articles, but like I cannot go in and project delegate. That's more (laughs) Aunt Therese. Like she's very good at that. I'm not good at Asana, not really good at Slack. I am in them and actively working on them, but um you know, using those things as organizational tools just doesn't work that well for me. And for her, it's something that she can do without thinking about. Yeah. Playing into strengths is, is important in a team. In terms of leadership, you know, what, what do you feel are some of your most valuable leadership qualities and what are you really working on as a leader? I'll say first what I'm working on. <laughs> I think what I'm working on right now 
is, um, you know, letting things go that aren't working and letting them go quickly. So like I said, there's sometimes where you, there's a project that you're doing and you think, oh my gosh, this is the way our company needs to go. We're going to all of a sudden do like PR and, and it's just not working. And it's six months and I really want this project to happen. And I'm spending a few hours a week thinking about it and writing about it and it's just not working. And so just handing those things over or like just, you know, swallowing your pride and digging into your wallet and hiring an outside person to do it. Um, I do think that I'm much better at delegating than I ever thought I could be. I remember working for my friend's company and, you know, being like the CEO of a company that was very small. And trying to do, trying to do it all. And she would hire someone to do everything. I mean, she would task grab at everything. And I just thought she was lazy and I'm not task grabbing everything, but I'm, I'm much better at managing. <laughs> so it's not laziness then. <laughs> yeah. It's not laziness. It's really just, um, you know, being a thoughtful leader. Yeah. And so when, when you've challenges, when things get hard, for instance, you've got three consecutive months with no income, how do you stay motivated? How do you sort of keep, keep the fire under your belly and keep going? You know what? There's always things to do. And this is what I realized when some people were saying that they're so bored during quarantine. Um, there's never been a moment where I could not go back to, um, to something we had done and see how we can do it better. Or, you know, like I said, oh my gosh, contracts expired. Let me go through and look for contracts. Like there's always money on the floor. My dad used to say that. And I was like, (laughs) what does that mean? But I really did go and start looking for money. And I found it, you know, we found like a few thousand dollars that I wouldn't have found otherwise. So um, there there were sometimes I just needed to sit back and relax. And there was other times I needed to, to be proactive. And I think reach out to clients in a different way. And do you have a community around you of other founders or mentors? Are you a mentor? Do you mentee? Are you a mentor to others? Are, are you a mentee to others? What's that like for you? I don't think I could be a boss unless I had a mentor. I look up to so many women. <laughs> There's other agents that I look up to that I follow. Um, agents that I had when I was at Wilhelmina and Ford. Um, and also other business women who, you know, run PR agencies and not only do I follow them and I reach out to them, there's this website called the PR.net and they have um, Zoom talks every single week. I actually signed up because I'm, a, I'm an in-person person. I am a total extrovert. I love going out and I thought, perfect, I'm going to finally have my group of women that I you know, meet up with like weekly and get tea and have talks about the business. But I've been doing that on Zoom now. And as far as mentee, we have so many of our models who are starting their own brands now. And so I feel like I'm, I feel like a mama sometimes to a lot of people, but I feel like a mentor. And whenever someone reaches out to me about business advice, I give them what I can. And I tell them what I failed at and what Mm. I've succeeded at. Because if someone reaches out to me and they are, you know, wanting to seek encouragement, maybe they haven't received validation from anybody else in their family. I have no idea. But if I can, you know, Mm. speak life into what they want to create, even if I just give them like, you know, oh, here's the place where I registered my business, or here's the website where you can, you know, do all your tax information. Like, here's my accountant, here's whatever. Um, so I try to be mm-hmm. helpful in, in, in very practical ways. And I love taking on interns. I take on like four interns every year. Hmm, amazing. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that it is really important to give back to 
just other people, I think we've all, you know, sought out the help of somebody more experienced. And so when you get to that point where you yourself are experienced, if you can give that to somebody else, I just think it's a really valuable way to kind of encourage women to become founders and entrepreneurs and, and sort of harness the power of their idea or creation and really make it happen. So props to you for having that mentality. <laughs> Thank you. And you know what? You can learn by teaching. You yeah. really can. It's like sometimes somebody's trying to figure something out and you you helping them or being with them for their journey. For example, I do this, this rocket club. It's an elementary school entrepreneurial program. And I've learned so much about marketing from these little kids. It's amazing. Like they are (laughs) now going to be in a few apartment buildings and stores like Amazon fresh. And I'm like, I cannot believe I helped you guys with that. Like you helped me. (laughs) Dang. That is cool. I've never heard of a program like that, but that is really awesome. (laughs) <laughs> Got to start him young. <laughs> yes. Um, do you feel that there's something that you would have done differently when you were just starting off that you've kind of learned along the ways? Uh, yes, I think so. I think I was really embarrassed to ask for money in the beginning. And like, we haven't done huge rounds of fundraising or anything, but I think in the beginning mm-hmm. we just bootstrapped really hard and then came into money certain ways. Or I think I like sold some designer purses or something that I had, but in the beginning, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there were people who really had faith in us. And I think I was afraid to ask for, for help or money or just Mm. like services or a meeting. And, you know, in year two, then I was, I felt more confident. I was like, okay, we've made money now, but I think there's a lot of men and I don't think it's all women who are like this, but I think a lot of men, they just like straight out ask for things from their friends Mm -hmm. or like, they're like, I have this idea and I already raised $50,000 for it. And I'm like, you don't even have a website. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I would never do that again. I think from the beginning I would reach out and even if you're not asking for money, just to ask for help. Mm. Yeah. That's like a confidence thing. I think at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's a good one. In terms of your day to day, you know, what does it look like for you? Just how do you go about it? And have you always worked from home or did you guys have an office before? Uh, we had an office that we actually just gave up at the end of December. Now I'm moving into a co-working space in Beverly Hills. And I know I loved our office, but our landlord was trying to like move everyone's offices around because we had the best office. So we were like, okay, yeah, we don't want to take a smaller, crappier office with no lighting. Like we need lighting. We're a modeling agency. <laughs> so, um, and Beverly Hills just seems so much more fancy. So the, the, um, this co-working place is open right now? It's actually, yeah, it's open. Oh, wow. I, I think a lot, I think a lot of co-working spaces are, are kind of, there's so many people who've canceled their memberships that it's like empty at WeWork or wherever else. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. I didn't know that. Cool. Okay. Yeah. But my daughter being school from home and working from home, that's extremely difficult. So she goes back to school next week and I go back to working in 10 minute bursts and then teaching and then working. <laughs> And, and your day-to-day, what does it look like? You know, you wake up early, you sleep in. What, what does it kind of look like as, as just you being an entrepreneur? How do you kind of craft your schedule accordingly? Uh, I would say that I'm a drill sergeant with my schedule. I'm, I'm <laughs> usually up, honestly, around 4.35 a.m. Okay. I get up. I do like a devotional plan. I usually will read um, the Bible, something else, inspirational listen to inspirational music. I immediately do my exercise. When my daughter wakes up, she has breakfast. We go for a walk. I make her exercise too, because I'm that mom. (laughs) And then, and then I get straight into work. I try not to answer emails first thing in the morning. 
Mm. I usually will only do that when I'm traveling internationally. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's healthy. When I first started the business, I would go to sleep at 2 a.m. I would be up all oh, night. Yikes. Oh yeah. And I wake up at six and start it again. I'd be like, I gotta be, you know, doing this like before she wakes up and after she goes to sleep. And I, I can't do that anymore because I was sending emails and I'd wake up and like, they wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. And so for me, I've got to, I've got to start the day at five and I've also got to spiritually and emotionally center because the entertainment industry and the fashion industry has a lot of, uh, mm. Uh, crazies, I would say. <laughs> That's real. So, so I've got to center myself before I even start answering emails. Like, I don't know. I could be called a bitch today. Like, who knows? <laughs> oh my crazy gosh. people. The life of somebody in entertainment. <laughs> yes. And, and just a couple more questions for you, Valerie, before we end this. Um, what, what do you feel is the most essential quality to being a founder or an entrepreneur? <sighs> I think you have to be really self-motivated. I, mm. so I've been, and when I say self-motivated, I, I do mean like the type of person who got a gym membership in middle school, like that self-motivated, <laughs> you know, and that was me for sure. I mean, I think you can learn discipline. You can learn motivation. There's so many speakers who are talking about how to be disciplined. I think that's amazing. And then I see other people who are like, do you? go slow. And I'm like, that's just not, I mean, for, if you're really trying to build something and you need to have momentum, you know, waking up and, mm. and centering yourself on, um, you know, some sort of truth in the morning, because when you go out into the world as an entrepreneur nothing feels like it's the truth, you know, everything feels very unstable when you first start your company. Mm. So, um, if you're not self-disciplined and if you're not motivated, you're going to be like a lot of my other friends who started businesses, put the money into it. And by launch day, they were done. Mm. They were done with the business. And uh, I didn't want to be that person. Like nobody knew I was starting a business until the website was launched. And I booked my first client. Mm. Do you feel like that was just a lack of self-awareness on those people's part who decided to start a business and had all of this energy at the idea point, And then mm. they kind of got into it and were just like, Oh, wait a second. Let's just take it slow. Do you think that's just self-awareness that that comes in or is it something else? Yeah, I think it's, it's a lack of confidence and it's also a lack of grounding. Like I said, when you Mm. start a business, if you don't have confidence that it's going to come together one way or another, for me, Mm. I was like, there's no other option. We have to make this work. And I think for some people, it was like, this is just a fun project and you can do something that's a fun project and it can be successful. But for me, I was like, no, I'm putting everything into this. And if it doesn't work this way, then I'm going to have to make it work another way. And I think some of my friends, they just thought I'm going to buy some stuff and put it up on a website. And like, if it sells, it sells, if it doesn't, I'll donate it. And that, Mm. that I was not going to think that way. (laughs) Mm. I want to like bookmark this because I think it's really, really good advice. Um, But beyond that, do you have any other advice that you would offer to any aspiring founder, entrepreneur, or even an aspiring model? To anyone who wants to start their own brand, I would say go to the root of why you really want to start it. I know that I was really motivated by my parents who were immigrants and, you know, they didn't feel like they had any other option but to do their own thing. Mm. And so I grew up with that mentality a hundred percent. And so you can have a plan B, you can have, you can still make a side income. 
But at the end of the day, why do you want to be a, a leader? Is it because you want to share your story? Do you want to use this for fame? Do you want to use modeling for, you know, for quick money? Like, why do you want to do this and, and get to the root of it? Um, not just the glamorous part, but, you know, do you want to support your mom in 10 years? Um, so when I started to ask myself those questions, it was very obvious that I needed to be in a position of leadership to achieve the goals that I want to achieve, which is Mm. financial freedom, freedom with my time, freedom to be a mother, you know, to encourage my daughter to, to really stick with something and work towards it and grow. And Mm. to, I was like, I like putting money in people's pockets. I really do. I love creating opportunities for people. (laughs) Mm. Beautiful. Um, yeah, these last couple of answers you've given Valerie have just proven how awesome you are. And I, I really appreciate <laughs> you sharing all of this. I also have a sort of intense meditation morning yoga practice that I do for about an hour and a half every day. And I think that without having some sort of groundedness in my day, it would be really, really hard to be able to run a business. And so it's awesome to hear other people, you know, bringing that to the table, because I think that's some of the best advice. And then self-awareness also, like you said, that's very, very crucial to being able to do this is being self-motivated and aware of what motivates you in the first place. So Valerie, thank you so much for joining us. This was really, really awesome. I am, I feel like I know so much more about modeling. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) And the other side of it, sort of the, the back end side of the modeling. Amazing. And I'm hoping, I hope it can, you know, transfer over to anybody who doesn't work in the entertainment industry. (laughs) Oh, yes, it definitely does. I think that there was a lot of good stuff. I always wanted to be a model when I was a kid, when I was younger. So it's like extra cool. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Valerie, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I just I can't wait for our listeners to hear everything you have to share. Thank you so much for having me, Becca. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Feisty Founders. I'm so glad you were able to join us to hear Valerie's story. To learn more about Role Models Management, make sure to check them out at Role Models Management, that's M-G-M-T, on all social media platforms. To stay updated on all things Feisty Founders, make sure to follow us at Feisty Founders on Instagram. If you're interested in learning more about other feisty female founders, be sure to check out our previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you choose to listen in. See you next time.